Welcome to The Defiant Podcast. Each week, we sit with those defying traditional finance and legacy institutions, the biggest brains and biggest names, and also those making a quieter but profound impact, the founders, investors, and creators of decentralized finance and Web3. You'll hear from them right here and get the scoop on how they're building at the frontier. I'm your host, Defiant founder, Camila Russo, putting this new world within your reach. To sub crypto, a user has to choose among hundreds of DEXs on multiple networks, all offering different rates and fees. Do you want to avoid that hassle? Swap on OneInch, a DEX aggregator that gets you the best rates than any single DEX. Enjoy the unlimited liquidity across multiple networks and top-level security. Try OneInch now. Welcome, Robin and Al, to the Defiant Podcast. No, 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 no. <laughs> Welcome, Camilla. To HQ D20. Yes. Yeah, this is D20. D20. That's the the home of Defiant Video Production. Welcome, yeah. Camilo Russo. No, it's amazing to be here. Like my mind was blown, and like I told you guys, I already had really high expectations. So thank you for building such an amazing space. So for you guys listening, this is the first time that I've been to the Defiant Video Studio since like it's been. What, like over a year that we've been making videos together? I think it's a year and a half since we were doing it with Harmony. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's been... And, and you were here? And we were already here. Yeah, carved this from, from bedrock, basically, with our bare hands. Just me, pickaxe, a loincloth, and just, just hammering <laughs> away lots of tools. Lots of tools. <laughs> and then we carved out enough space to shoot YouTube videos in. Yeah, pretty much. In this space. In the middle of nowhere. It doesn't a... work if you don't it... speak into the mic. Okay, yeah, we're, we're really out there in Holland in a an industrial area basically and uh, yeah it's an amazing space and such such a treat to be able to shoot the podcast with all this gear as as you guys who follow the podcast know it's basically just like me and one tiny camera and, and like my yeti mic and that's it and now it's wow like the pros do it so really excited to be here with you guys we might be pros but i forgot to switch the video to us because we've got a little video switcher here, and I, oh. I, and I, I, we never use it, but we're using it today, and I completely forgot to switch the video. So no, there'll be a bunch of stuff where it's just, it's just you nodding at us as we talk. <laughs> like, work in progress. Um, Something like that, anyway, yeah. It'll be okay. Okay, I'd love to start by hearing the Robin and Alp, or Alp and Robin story. How did you guys come to work together? And like you were mentioning before, this partnership predates the Defiance. So that, how did that happen? I received an email saying, Ola Filmmaker, in October 2019. And uh, did you flip back to us, actually, or not? No. We have to flip back. I was so bad at this. <laughs> your finger was there. You didn't flip it. I've just fallen asleep. <laughs> if you speak faster, I'll, I'll get there and I'll be able to do it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I received an email. I forgot the contents of it, but he was trying to do something with crypto and stuff like that. And I said, okay, I'm down. I'd like to hear more. And then we met in The Hague in a cafe. And he asked me about like how much I know about blockchain. And I said, there's something to do with mining and coins and hard math problems and stuff like that. And did you lose yeah. your train of thought? I, I did. I think I you should pick it up. Why. You should pick it up. I wonder why. <laughs> so why, Robin, so, why did you decide to email out? So I, I was working for Harmony at the time. And what I had pitched to Harmony was a YouTube channel making videos because I believed that crypto in general had very bad videos across the board. No one was really able to tell the story of this space. And particularly when you had a, a brand like Harmonies that was attempting to disrupt the Ethereum audience or the Ethereum model, what they said needed to be really clear and it needed to be done in a way that was distinctive and bingeable, I guess that was the idea. So I started making videos for Harmony, bought a camera, and very quickly realized that I needed someone to do it with because doing it on your own sucks, basically. My background's film and having larger productions. So there was a bit of a culture shock Firstly, putting myself in front of the camera, but also just having to do everything by yourself. So I realized it would be much easier if I had someone to work with, someone I could edit with. And I needed to find someone who was interested in YouTube, but also it couldn't just be someone who already worked in the space. There it, it was a very specific set of criteria. I knew I needed to train someone up and they needed to be fresh to this and come with their own ideas. So I went and had a coffee with Alp and we got on and we just actually, we nerded out over this lens. Bizarrely enough, I brought it with me. Oh, really? Yeah, so this is a probe lens. It, no, you don't put it there. 
But basically, this is a macro lens. It's a very specialized piece of equipment, and it had just come out, and it's we never use it, but it is it's a very cool thing. So we noted out over that, and then we realized that we had the same similar kind of crazy sense of humor. And I basically said, "Come and work with me," and he said, "Yes," and that was how that began. And then what happened next? Wait, but like, how did you know to email him? Did you just like look in a database of Amsterdam video editors or like random name generator and then that gmail.com and then I just received that no I I, it was it was a referral by a friend someone who'd been working with us on a piece of communications for harmony I just happened to mention I was looking for someone and he said oh yeah my flatmate is up for doing stuff like this and that's how that happened awesome yeah you met him yesterday shout out to Ivar Lannan shout out to Ivar Lannan he's the the connector here made made this duo happen <laughs> he, yeah he's the connective tissue that's yeah. what we shall call him from now on mr he's connective tissue you yes are. you are the connective yeah. tissue. and did you have any kind of previous experience with crypto before what was your uh, initial kind of experience walking into making videos for, for harmony like did you have to learn everything from scratch yeah basically like coming into harmony protocol i only maybe just heard about bitcoin a couple times mm. and Yeah, I had to learn everything from the beginning, like proof of stake, proof of work, all that sort of stuff. And I was like, my approach was from a creative pers perspective. But my 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 end goal was to make videos and learn in the process. And so I didn't like invest for the first six months of working in the space. Like I was very risk averse to begin with. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. Yeah. And what about now? Like after what has it been two years since mm -hmm. you started making crypto videos? Kind of your take on crypto evolved in that time are you like a believer now or are you still in it like basically for the creative aspect no i think i got uh, skin in the game after six months i briefly left harmony and harmony paid me in harmony tokens they paid me a, a severance payment mm -hmm. and that was basically my first cryptocurrency and i started playing around with that and during that time it started like blowing up and i like overnight i made a uh, a couple hundred dollars and i was like well, what's going on here like how is this possible so fast just profits were insane time and then yeah since then i i was i got really involved with the money making side of it i thought this would be a good way to make some extra cash to buy a new computer for myself mm. so it started like that and then yeah wait <laughs> froze a little bit there but how's it evolved like i started playing around with DeFi protocols then mm -hmm. i st started staking sushi and started learning more about the financial side of it and uh, yeah okay yeah. <laughs> is, is it so is it still about like how you can how how you can use DeFi and invest in different cryptocurrencies is that still attractive to you or have you like also ventured into nfts or have you looked into kind of other aspects that crypto might be interesting yeah what's what i really like about the crypto that the aspect is um like being able to transact Really, with without any borders and remaining anonymous still, without having a third party like acting as just having all your information, accessing all your information. I find that aspect attractive. Mm -hmm. And uh, besides that, I I did get into NFTs, but I was always like really skeptical because mm -hmm. I, I I thought like it's can be really trapped in them. Like most of them become illiquid, and I'm still somewhat risk averse. I don't really I'm not taking too many risks. But somewhat, I, I take uh, risks in more um, like alternative coins for some reason, but not in NFTs. I'm not really sure why <laughs> I, I I'm doing that. But so Robin hasn't kind of influenced you in that way. He gave out free NFTs, so <laughs> <laughs> which were pretty profitable. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I guess I don't have to play the NFT game that much. If Robin's already doing enough of that for the whole office. <laughs> yeah. Shh. <laughs> We say nothing about that. It's, it's strictly black ops, that one. All right. Um, Robin, how has your kind of take or approach to crypto changed since you started making videos? Since I started making videos, well, I was active in crypto from early 2017. So I saw the last big bull run and I, I traded all manner of garbage, really. It was shit coins and I was just having fun with it. But also it was just learning the space and learning the technology. Since making videos, I think... It wasn't so much making videos, it was working at Harmony. Mm. It just taught me how little I'd actually known to that point. And it was so many things. It was the real nuts and bolts of protocols, particularly layer ones. Like what's actually required to support and sustain a layer one, even just down to how many validators you need and the specifics of slashing and really like deep in the weeds. And then really also just management of teams, putting a team together. The Harmony office was very much 
go and work in the same hacker house. Once COVID hit, they had to, you know, separate. And I, I think it really disturbs the way that they've been functioning, having to work remotely. And it took them a while to figure out how to, to put that together. But but seeing Stephen, my old boss there, do stand-up meetings, 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, everyone comes in and he would spend an hour talking, bringing people up, explaining where they were at. That culture he brought over from Silicon Valley from working at Google and Apple and you could see how he wanted to run the company. What I know now is that is not Web3. That's not how this space works. And when it moves at the speed that it really can move at, you can't do that. Hmm. So there, there was just so many things that I learned about that also just when a community hates you, like what that's actually like. So I have an enormous amount of sympathy for any developers who fall on the wrong side of that and start to see that coming their way because I don't think anything could prepare you for it. Hmm. Just how bad it actually is when you're in the weeds. So all of these things inform how I look at protocols and I look at communities now. And I think the change that has happened is that I have a stronger conviction that the kind of the base layer, which is where does the strong conviction lie in the market? And it's a much broader base and it's a much bigger base now. Obviously, Michael Saylor is the name that jumps to mind, but you can see institutions, you can see larger players, larger names publicly supporting this space. Mostly it's Bitcoin, but it all trickles down. And it means that huge kind of just jaw-dropping bear market position that we found ourselves in 2018 starts to look less and less remote. And then we move to how regulation is accelerating or the debate around regulation is accelerating. And you, you have this picture in your mind, actually, everything that we thought was the promise, the future, the mainstream adoption, it's here. Mm. That takes some kind of adjusting to because you always feel like crypto is battling for survival, battling for recognition. It's happened. Yeah. And I don't think anyone stood up and said, because they don't believe it. But for me, it's already happened. And now we're in this next really bizarre phase where we have to figure out what kind of compromises we're willing to make. Yeah, I think I think that it's true. I felt like last year was crypto's mainstream moment. Like it's it was like nobody's doubting that crypto is here to stay. Or at least like most people know that what crypto is. Most kind of big institutional uh, investors, funds, hedge funds have crypto in their portfolios. Uh, most banks are offering some sort of crypto product, either kind of futures or exchange traded, traded products and, and so on. Um, and then NFTs like completely blew people away. And I think that brought in a whole new wave of a whole new set of people to the space. But at the same time, there's still, if you look at the numbers, it's still only 10% of like global population own crypto in centralized exchanges. So we're not even talking about DeFi or Web3. That's like a, even a like much smaller percentage. So I agree with you, but like with that caveat that like even while crypto is known by everyone and I think everyone accepts crypto to be a fact of life by now and not going away, there's still like a lot of room to grow and like a, a long path before like actual mainstream adoption of, okay, people actually owning and holding and using crypto in their day-to-day -day lives. Uh, but okay, so I think that was like the story last year, crypto arriving at this moment. This year so far, it feels like there's a lot of like major underlying forces rising, right? It's like on the macro side, you have this backdrop where interest rates are, are increasing, inflation is rising in the US, like the pandemic is ending. There's like all these like macro changes. The crypto market has been super volatile, like it crashed at the start of the year. Now it's stabilized, bouncing back. And all these kind of also like regulatory moves and announcements from the US with the executive order to the EU and their move on, on non-custodial wallets to the UK and stablecoin re stablecoins recently, to central banks considering CBDCs. I don't know, it's like these like really big moves. And of course, like with the added like important component of the conflict or the war in, in Ukraine. So I'd love to know uh, your takes on this. Like you are um, making videos almost every day on all the kind of latest breaking news and, and tutorials and big stories with our Defined Weekly. So you really have gotten in the weeds of all these like major stories to you like what what are the most interesting drivers so far uh, yeah wow that's a big question mm -hmm. the most interesting drivers are 
resilience. I think, first of all, uh, I think a lot of people predicted there would be a, a much bigger drop from the highs. That hasn't happened. And it, as what I mentioned before, that there's, there seems to be a greater conviction overall. And it, I think that probably one of the biggest surprising things has just been the, the way in which the NFT story has evolved and refused to go away because mm-hmm. we were comparing it to ICOs and rightly because there was a huge frenzy around mints and drops and it felt a lot like the ICO craze. But where a lot of ICO projects then needed 18 months to two years to even deliver a, a piece of their roadmap, these NFT projects are much more agile and they're much faster to get things moving. Just a very rapid, I don't want to call it innovation because a lot of it isn't innovation, but it's growth. Led by obviously the Board Ape Yacht Club, but also interesting partnerships like Artifact partnering with Nike, the way Adidas has moved into this space. There's just been this rapid insertion into pop culture. And for me, pop culture was always going to be the front line for mainstream adoption. I just didn't, mm. I never saw NFTs being that. I thought it would be much more about straight up money, money is bad, money doesn't work for you. It, it isn't that. It's actually entertainment. People want to be entertained. So as people that make videos, It's been really interesting to see that and see how different people have taken uh, a piece of that. In many ways, I'd almost welcome a return to more of a focus on the money side of things, because I think it's one of the biggest sticks that we get beaten with. It's all about greed. And yet I want to show people like a a simple fixed interest rate product that will just allow their savings to travel further and create some kind of stability. That would be fascinating to see just normal people exposed to that choice. Okay, you have your banking app and you have the choice of okay, deposit it with us, or we'll give you access to this product. And it's 10%. Like people would bite your arm off for 10% uh, on just savings mm-hmm. with, with no downside. So I think we're going to see some really interesting conversations around stable coins, how to regulate them. And the UK has shown its hand now in terms of it wants to reposition London as a kind of major financial center around crypto assets, whether they can do that or not, I don't know. And obviously, all eyes on Janet Yellen in the States. Those conversations, I think, for me, are the where everything, where the rubber hits the road. Mm. It's NFTs and their unstoppable drive into pop culture, and then this raging debate around stablecoins. What is also really interesting is that Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, let's call it what it is, it is an invasion, has completely just shaken Europe to the core, mm. shaken NATO to the core, and forced it to rethink, well, everything. And so we were going to see an awful lot of things be reconfigured. Where do we get our energy from? Where do we, how do we even manage money cross-border? How do we keep Russia out of the financial system? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so obviously the conflict, the war has to have a, a place to play in all of this. And you can just feel it. Right? You can feel money just being undermined. Like the money that we, we, we're used to, fiat currency being undermined by by everything in the world. And it's really strange to see that just kind of happen in front of you. And what money is going to be in the next 10 years, I don't know. But I know it's not going to look like what it looks like now yeah, at all. I agree. Up to you, which, which has, have been the most interesting stories? This year, I just wanted to add to that idea of we're going to have a big drop in, in Bitcoin's like uh, price. Like we've been talking about this for over a year now. Like mm-hmm. last year we said, okay, the bear market is going to begin in August. And then <clears throat> people started saying, Q1 uh, 2022. And then we keep expecting a big drop in Bitcoin uh, or like other cryptocurrencies and enter a proper be- heavy bear market, but it's not really coming. Or or we, we've entered a stage where it's a super, cy- super cycle where the super cycle. The percentage he said drops. it. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah, hit it. <laughs> so percentage drops are going to be lower with the established coins. Why are you wearing your glasses, by the way? Uh, because it makes me look cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let it be known that those glasses are absolutely <laughs> useless. Fake news. Doesn't need them. Doesn't need them. <laughs> I tell you. I tell you why I'm wearing the glasses. It's because we went out for drinks with Camilla Russo last night, and she's a fiend, <laughs> and I'm hungover today. <laughs> That's a good enough reason. <laughs> when you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google Flights. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? To make sure you're getting the best possible price, you should use a DEX aggregator like Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Avalanche, BSC, Phantom, Celo, and Optimism. With Matcha, you can make limit orders on-chain, so you can set and forget your DeFi trades, and now Matcha even offers gasless trading. Head over to matcha.xyz slash defiant 
and connect your wallet to start smarter with Matcha. Okay, uh, but why do you think that we might be in this kind of super cycle or just at, at least that uh, the bear market won't be as uh, steep or as deep as it was uh, in 2018, 2019? A few factors. First of all, like last year, we, we saw a huge boom in the mainstream adoption of crypto. So like getting more people involved in it and having more people starting to believe in it, it plays a key role in it. Hmm. And besides that, having large companies and like well-established brands getting into it and including it in their balance sheet and stuff like that also helps yep. like establishes a even bigger tr uh, trust and belief in the technology so i think that's the main the, that's the main one yeah <laughs> we're all like waiting just, to see just what, wait. what <laughs> what's gonna come out now it's gonna drop uh, thanks <laughs> nice. thanks man okay finally <laughs> um i want to go back to the the topic of ukraine and russia i think it's it's just like it's posed such interesting questions about money, uh, about the financial system being weaponized, and like what role crypto plays in all this. So on the one hand, on the fiat side, uh, the U.S. and Western Europe are using uh, sanctions to kind of coerce or force Russia uh, out of the Ukraine or into a position. So taking Russian banks out of the uh, SWIFT system, imposing uh, sanctions on uh, Russian oligarchs, and uh, and so on, prohibiting uh, companies to transact with Russian counterparties. And this might or might not have an effect, and that's, that's debatable, but the fact is that the traditional financial system is being used as a, as a weapon, effectively, instead of going in with, with their tanks and armies, the West is fighting Russia with money, with the financial system. And that's super interesting. Of course, like this time, Russia is the bad guys, at least in my eyes. Um, but I wonder what happens to the time when the good guys are being attacked with the financial system. It's okay. So like this time, maybe we can all stand behind like sanctions and like money being weaponized because it's against the bad guys. But isn't it, I think it to me, it's like conflicting the fact that countries can use the financial system as a weapon when I think like everyday people in, in Russia, I don't think should be necessarily punished for this. Like they should be free to tr transact. And same with, with the Ukraine. We were just speaking with Ivar, the connective tissue yesterday. And, and he was, we were talking about how the Ukraine is also um, placing this kind of fence around its financial system to stop the the local currency from from falling and stop people from from taking money out of the country and so on. So Ukrainians are also suffering with the weaponization of finance. And of course, like in in parallel, there's crypto, like providing an alternative to both Ukrainians and Russians. So I, I think that's just like such an interesting development this year that kind of like proves why crypto is is useful. Unfortunately, in this like horrible scenario, but would love to hear your thoughts, like how you're seeing this play out. Yeah, the, the situation for Ukrainians is particularly complex. You, as you say, the the government has set in motion um, restrictions, which means you can't take money out of the country. You can't pay into a foreign bank account. So they want to keep the money in the country, which I, is understandable. There's also a problem, which is you have to volunteer in the Ukraine. And if you don't, then they impose a tax. And it's around about 20%. So they heavily incentivize you to to volunteer. Unfortunately, if you don't live in the Ukraine, you can't do this. So you have to go back to the Ukraine to volunteer in person. So if you're not resident in Ukraine, and like the 4 million or so people who've left, that would include them, then you're in trouble. And, and so there are a huge number of restrictions for Ukrainians. And we are covering a story at the moment of someone who is uh, Ukrainian. She's based in, in Amsterdam and is attempting to get crucial supplies to soldiers on the front line. And she can't because she has a Ukrainian bank account and she has a, a Ukrainian identity. So she's having to perform all these financial gymnastics to get the money to where it's needed, which is, as it turns out, in Poland. Mm. And the way she's done it, cross-border, is using crypto, which is a kind of very interesting example of how even though the final payment isn't in crypto, the ability to move money cross-border rapidly and without restriction is what's enabling her to get bandages and tourniquets and night vision helmets to people that need them. Mm. And that is not a story we hear very often. Normally we're hearing about apes and 
fugly JPEGs and people aping into farms and the gross greed that's on display. No, here's a story about someone who could not do this unless crypto was there. And that's a story that we need to tell. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. There's Effectively, what's happening here is NATO is trying to deplatform Russia. That's basically what's happening here from the financial system. And, and Russia planned for this. They knew it was coming. And so they stockpiled cash and it's been frozen. And we don't really know what's going on in Russia because they paint these lovely, pretty pictures on national TV and everyone eats it up. The, Peskov has said this, the, this morning that he finds the loss of life troublesome. I forget what the exact wordage was, but there is a slow trickle of something like the truth from the Russian propaganda machine. But again, like, it's easy to paint Russia as the bad guys, and we have done, and they are the aggressor here. But like every government is a bad guy, in my opinion. <laughs> and what Web3 really is all about is starting from a position where we cannot and should not automatically trust institutions, whether they be you know, large VC-backed Web2 firms controlling our data or governments, because we can't. And they've proven repeatedly that we cannot trust them. And that's where Web3 starts from. Where we arrive at and where the trust sits, I don't know. But then we have, we have Trump with Truth Social attempting to create a platform where anyone can speak. And then we have Twitter. Like, should you be able to say whatever you want on Twitter? I don't know. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to any of these things. But at least we have to try and figure it out mm -hmm. uh, in some way. So when we say permissionless, is it? I don't know. Because at some point, the, you, you can transact within crypto and you can operate in crypto and through DeFi. But at a certain point, you want to be able to pay for milk. And it's at that point there that it'll, it all falls down. And I don't know whether we're ever going to be able to solve that. That's the problem. I, I agree with Robin's points. <clears throat> Thanks. Wait, is that it? Oh, wait. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As well. We were very serious. It went yeah. very quiet. Everyone yeah. just chilled down. And then... Let's keep it friendly. We're having a friendly <laughs> chat here. But yeah, it's not just Ukrainian people that's being screwed over because of the situation. As you said, like the Russian people are mm -hmm. uh, also in trouble because of basically one guy's decision that is their president. And it's somewhat affecting me as well because my dad has business in Russia. He's currently there at the moment, actually. And it's making imports and exports more expensive, more, more, um, more trouble involved in it. Mm. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, tough for everyone, this whole situation. Yeah. So I think as you were saying that like all governments are bad guys, that's a very, it's an interesting take, but I think it may be true, but maybe not in the literal sense, but in the sense that all governments have the potential to to really in interfere with everyone's with everyone's lives and the money. And like right now, the governments have the power to to censor us, and that's clear across the board. I, I think um, people living in in developed countries forget that that's the case. It, it it doesn't take much for governments to step out of line. And we started recently with Canada. Like you you would have never expected Canada, like the most like quietest, like most like stable country in kind of the Americas to do something like that. But we saw how they blocked the truckers' bank accounts when they were protesting the like different COVID mandates. But it doesn't take much for governments to step over that line. So I think as we're seeing these things play out, it's important to remember, okay, it's good that maybe these sanctions will have like the desired effect on, on Russia, but it's not so great that governments actually have the power to do these things. Or if you think it is, I think at least, at the very least, it's good to have crypto as an alternative for people to actually be able to transact if when that time comes. Though, as you rightly say, Robin, there's still there's a lot missing, like infrastructure missing for that to be actually like completely effective because the bridges to the real world aren't like aren't uh, always there. So that's yeah, that's probably the, the biggest story this year. And speaking of like institutions, I wanted to just share uh, with our podcast audience the experience I had this week at uh, the CBDC conference because it was very enlightening. I, so I went to speak at a conference that was organized by the Bank of International Settlements and the National um, Bank of Switzerland, so like their central bank. And it was a conference about DeFi and like how DeFi interacts with CBDCs. So I went there um, expecting a, a group of people who were even like within these institutions, probably like open to DeFi and friendly to it since they had organized this conference. But it was really surprising to see how deeply 
skeptical they all were. Like I, I met tons of like lovely people and I say this with, with you know, respect, but it was surprising to see how still behind uh, the times they were. Just like a quick anecdote, the BIS employees still use the BlackBerry app, like the BlackBerry software on their phones. And to me, that's just like a sign of, wow, like they, they are just like <laughs> so behind in, in all respects. And speaking about DeFi, like the main thing I got from them was like, just like this deeply rooted fear about this new system. And it was all about the risk of DeFi, uh, like they were talking about front running and sandwich attacks as if those things didn't start in traditional finance and how like money laundering and criminals they can use crypto and like the tired kind of takes to, to the space. And just like very much focus on the risk and how to regulate it instead of the opportunity. So I don't know, I was pretty surprised uh, by it. And I think the most like shocking comment that to me was like, I don't know, like really actually bothered me was that I heard at least three times from people in, 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 the, in the BIS that uh, to this argument of like, crypto is an alternative for people living in repressive regimes or in like in uh, corrupt governments or with devaluating currencies and, and, and so on. Their argument to that was instead of uh, going outside of the system, why not try to improve the system? And that to me, it just, it, it reflects like, it's just like very naive to say that about, tell that to people in Cuba, oh, go, go and change your dictatorship or to Argentina, go and change decades and decades of just like chronic inflation. People just don't have a choice. Just like Russians and Ukrainians don't have a choice really on, on what's happening. So anyways, I, this just happened this week and I'm, I've been like ruminating on this because it was like, wow. It's just like a different, we're, I think we're like steeped in this like crypto bubble and we forget that a lot of people just like think very differently. Did you see any positive inquiry into what you were saying? I think that there, there was the, an, an interest in seeing how DeFi and crypto could um, bring financial services to a like wider group of, uh, of, of people, just like increasing uh, access to financial services. So I think that was what they were most receptive to. But at the same time, it was like, I, I, I got like the different CBDC projects that are being tested really have nothing to do with crypto. They are not planning to uh, issue CBDCs on public blockchains. Very far from what's being discussed. It's digital currencies run on like private systems, on private ledgers that sometimes won't even... Uh, be used by like the retail population even. It's called like wholesale CBDCs, which will be just used by central banks and commercial banks to make like this system more more efficient, which in, in one way, like it's a relief because it, it reduces uh, the risk of, of like privacy infringement and all this like big brother concerned about CBDCs. So in, in that way, I guess it's fine. It, there, there's no kind of real plan of integrating CBDCs to DeFi and, and to Web3. I, I didn't see that kind of actually being discussed or, or taken seriously. Yeah, I guess one of the, the big things about the, the, the money problem at the moment is how do you stop inflation? How do you stop the money printer going mm. brr? <laughs> if there is an unlimited supply and you could just keep printing it, then it's always the those who stand to lose the most are the ones that get hurt the most. And that's normal people. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Yang always talks about the, the decline and the destruction of the middle classes. Well, he's right. It's happening. Mm -hmm. It's happening extremely quickly. There's a real need for us to communicate properly. I think there's a real need for us to get a message out that doesn't look like a message. And I think that's the real mm. trick here because there's a, there's a lot of pushback on crypto and NFTs particularly that it's stop shouting at me. Mm. Stop telling me I'm going to die broken alone. Stop preaching to me because I don't want to hear it. Mm. Nobody wants to be told they're an idiot. They have to arrive at the conclusion that they're an idiot by themselves because that's only, we're all idiots we don't know anything and we know we, we have the opportunity to know a little bit more and so really it's it's helping people realize that there's more that they could know and that it isn't scary but that story that message you can't just go out there and say our financial system is broken and web 2 is bad because it's it just falls on deaf ears mm. and we see that over and over again everyone just you know entrenches and and pulls back because they don't want to hear that so the discussions that we're having at the moment is like, how do we get 
a, a different story out mm. and allow that the other story we want to percolate and be received, even though that's not what we're saying. And that is some kind of magic trick. So it's, it's become an obsession of mine. Is I, I, I want to talk about this stuff, but I don't want to, I don't want to shout about it. Mm. I want it needs to be a lot more subtle. And it's the people at the BIS who you want to, you want them to see something and just a, a question to form. Yeah. That's it. I think the question is forming. Though. Yeah. They are, at least they heard the other side. And I, I think that was a huge step forward. I'm pretty brave of them. They had me, they had the Curve founder, Michael Egoroff. Eger, yeah. Yes. Liquidy founder was there, Evan Van Ness. So it's, they had a, a good group of people who were like able to give the other, the other side. So I think that was positive. That was like a good a step for them. In 2021, Ethereum traders lost over $240 million to malicious bots exploiting their trades. Eden Network is a next-generation private transaction service for Ethereum, providing traders with MEV protection by submitting transactions directly to miners and away from the prying eyes of harmful bots. Eden Network recently launched Eden Rocket RPC, which compiles some of Ethereum's fastest private transaction networks. Join and get started now at rpc.edennetwork.io. Speaking of telling a message, I want to transition to what we're doing at, at The Defiant and what's coming up uh, in the coming uh, weeks and months. Uh, you're talking about bringing this, this story to the world. So yeah, if, if you can bring the audience behind the scenes to what's being uh, planned here. You know what we could do? We could actually talk about our week because it's okay. crazy. It's crazy. So over the weekend, I will read stories and I will, and, and I will start to get an idea of what I want to cover for the next week. Monday, we sit down and we do the quick take. And that's usually, I have to write it in about an hour and we shoot it in about 10 minutes. And then Gary, who's already said, takes him about two hours to write it. And then that same day, we also look at first look. So we try to discover an interesting protocol that might be interesting to cover. And then, you know, I try and look for stuff that is less well-known, that's off the radar, because I think it's important that there are some interesting projects out there that just won't get any coverage any other way, because every, everyone else who's covering crypto goes for the numbers. And we don't do that. So we're probably the only place you're going to see interesting, less well-covered protocols in any detail or quality. And then we have a tutorial to do. And we also do that on Mondays. And then the rest of the week, we're doing uh, the Real Vision show, which has to be preps. We have the Friday Weekly show, which is our big kind of flagship show where we try and really take a story and do it in our very own surprising and unique way. And that, that just kills us every week, <laughs> trying to come up with something different and unique. And then we're just doing live shows on Thursdays. Every day we're publishing something and figuring out how to manage our time when we're delivering that much content is, is impossible. And what I realized was there are, there are things slipping under the radar that we don't cover because they won't fit into our schedule. Mm. And what happened this year was we saw a couple of pieces of content, particularly Line Goes Up by Dan Olson, where he singled you out for criticism, called you a failed journalist. And it really pissed me off. And I, it, got, it got to the point where I was just like, I hate this space. I don't like what's being reflected back here. And I think that was a good reaction to have. But I also went back and said, but why do they see this? And why is it so off-putting for them that they can't forgive a young space tripping over its own feet when what we see as the end goal and the, the, the beauty of this space is what makes all of that worthwhile? And I realized that we just we never show it. And that was a surprising revelation to come to because I feel like we're, we're shining a light on this space all the time. But what I realized is what we're shining a light on is all the things that they hate. And so how do we then raise up the things that really matter? Well, we have to take more time and we have to raise money to do it. And we have to get a team in place to dedicate themselves to doing that. And then we have to work really hard to find those stories and put them together. So it's been a couple of conversations, particularly with Andrew Yang and his Lobby 3 team about what kind of materials they would like to present to Congress, because they're going to be talking to Congress over and over. And what Congress will hear from the market, from their constituents is, Crypto is bad. Crypto is for money launderers and pedophiles. And we have to present something else to balance that out. So we're starting to look for stories like that. And we will be looking to raise money through crowdfunding to fund what will end up being about a year's worth of content, hopefully. It was, we were originally going to do a film, but I think it may, might end up being a series of films. And hopefully we'll partner up with some other organizations to do that. But these stories do matter. And it's where you basically start from the position of, is there something here where it could only have happened? because of crypto. And it turns out there are tons of these kinds of stories. It's just, they're not money go up stories or, or number go up or you look how much my ape is sold for it, it, but they're still meaningful and important. And I think people will 
really rally behind those stories and be interested in them if we can do it in the right way. And that isn't something that we can just flippantly just put me in front of a camera and say, they have to be real and raw and honest. And the, lo- the furthest thing from propaganda we can create, that's what it has to be. So we're in the process of putting that together at the moment. We've been talking about it for so long, but really we didn't quite know what it was going to be until a story landed in our lap last week about a Ukrainian film producer who is effectively funneling supplies and a whole bunch of other stuff that she can't talk about to Mm. the Ukraine, and she can only do it with crypto. And we felt that this was, from a visceral perspective, making it real, this is about as good as it gets. So we're going to use that as the pilot to launch this campaign, and then we'll raise some money. We have to do it using crypto, obviously, and there is no way to do that unless you give people tokens and NFTs. But the point is, that'll just say, yeah, you, you funded this thing. We're not going to be selling NFTs. We're not going to be selling tokens that have any value. It's literally, that's just what we have to do um, because we think that's, it's important. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think we probably think it's the, one of the most important things we could be doing right now. Because when I look at the landscape of who makes content in this space, particularly video content, just, there are, there's almost nobody that has the exposure that we have and the experience we have who will be able to navigate this very tricky line to making the story work in the right way on the people that it needs to work on. So that's the big challenge ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm excited to, to get it going. Yeah, same here. Um, Alf, what, what do you think uh, about this project? I think it's a, from what triggered was the uh, Dan Olson video, I think, like what sparked this whole idea. And I, I, and to see how it's evolving and um, shaping to its current state, I, I like it because it started off as, let's give a, um, let's reply back to this guy and prove that he's wrong and we're right in, in it. In a way, that was the initial idea. And then it turned into this. And now we have a better pilot and better spark of thought to carry mm-hmm. on with. So I like it in that sense. And it has a more ground in the real world. And it's actually people are benefiting from what crypto is doing um, in Ukraine. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think, I guess this is the first time we've talked about this uh, publicly, right? I, I don't think we've said this before. Yeah, we haven't really launched it properly yet. But that, yeah. that, that was because... It's still coming together. Yeah, it wasn't so much that. It was. It's so easy to open yourself up to both criticism and ridicule if you if you go into it too quickly. And I and as as Alp said, the Dan Olson film triggered a response. And what I felt was, I hate this guy, and I want to prove him wrong, and I want to attack. Mm-hmm. And I had to really pour a lot of cold water on that because it was the wrong way to approach this. And it was also the fact that a lot of what he said was correct. But it's also a lot of th- things that can be fixed. And, uh, and I, again, what I, what I realized was that we're just not presenting a, a workable and honest picture of the ultimate benefits of all of this. All we're mm-hmm. talking about is the systems and the profit to be made from those systems and how to exploit them. And so that was really the starting point for this. It's just how do we do that the right way? And you just have to find an entry point. And this Ukrainian story is that entry point. It, it's, it is real. And like, I think people see our, our videos and they can see production value and lighting and all the fun party tricks we put into the videos. And that's because that's how we make it fun for ourselves. Because a lot of what we cover is just, it's just code, it's numbers. So making these visual things helps make the story more memorable. And it also makes it fun for us to shoot. But when you're talking about being real, that all has to go away. Mm. So just allowing ourselves to put a story out there and for the story to be the only thing that matters, that's really crucial. I worked at Vice News on and off for a while, and that's what they do. That's, yeah. what, they, that's what they used to do brilliantly. And, and I think that's a, a great kind of starting point for us in terms of telling the stories. Just Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the, the approach to take with this. And I think I, I wouldn't want this to be a response to, to Dan Olson. That's not what this is about. It's Maybe that's what sparked the idea. Like, how can we showcase like the, the true impact of crypto? I'm glad that it's evolved beyond just like a reply story, but more about there's this actual kind of side of the space that we're not covering. And as our mission is to be the trusted best source of information for Web3 and DeFi, this is in, in our mandate to do. Yes, cover all the latest news and developments in DeFi and Web3, do the tutorials on how to use this stuff, like absolutely, but we can't miss the big story, like why this thing actually matters. And and you look at, yeah, like you said, like most crypto content and, and, and videos, 
And yeah, I think we're missing the forest from the trees. We're just, there's just so much going on that it's easy to go very deep in, in the rabbit hole, but it's so necessary to take a step back because that's what like the people who are not in it are, are missing. They're, they're missing that big picture take. So I'm really excited uh, that we can be the ones to provide it. Yeah, it's definitely a case that if I look at who, who would I want to make this story? It's us. I don't, I don't know who else could do it. That's the thing. And it's having come from Harmony, the appeal of the Define was we can float above everything and we can observe it from a distance and we're not infected or caught up in it. What's become very apparent is that yeah, we are in it and we're part of it and we are a Web3 entity, data platform, coffee maker. <laughs> and that's what we do. And so it, it really is, it becomes clear that there's a burden on us to, to stand up and, and put ourselves in the firing line to a degree by doing this and, and having an opinion. Which is a hard one because we try to be objective and try to give everyone a fair shot. But actually, we also need to have an opinion about mm -hmm. this if we're going to utilize the tools and the primitives of this space to, to forward our own kind of business. So, it, it, yeah, it's time to get political, baby. Yep, I like it. Oh, yeah. Like, to be clear, like, The Defiant has an editorial line. Like, we, we are unbiased and objective in covering this space. But our position on our editorial line is that we think that the future will be increasingly decentralized and that crypto will be used as an infrastructure layer for an increasing amount of, of industries. And it will become, to me, it's clear that, you know, blockchains will start to form this value layer on top of the internet. And that's what we call Web3. That's happening. And I think that's the position that's reflecting in our own content and uh, our own production. So I, I think it's like, a line there to to balance like we want to be objective of course like accuracy ab above all unbiased when reporting this space but that doesn't mean that we we don't have a position here we have a strong position and we're part of it also we have a strong position in the hearts and minds of our subscribers hopefully you all click that subscribe button <laughs> yeah i'll get subscribed yeah yeah you want to <laughs> oh stop oh, it no, no. oh my Sorry, fail no. cancel him <laughs> Gone. All right. So I have a question for you. Oh, stop it. I have a question for you, Camilla. Yes. What is your favorite of the pieces of work that we've done? Oh. Pick one. Oh my God, that's so hard. Let me see. There's just so many. I have definitely have a soft spot for the earlier pieces because I remember just starting to work with you guys and just like being blown away every week with the, the stuff that you were doing. So the sushi swap ballad was amazing. Yeah. That whole thing, like the Avigachi, uh, like you in, in this like in this jungle. That those pieces were just like were wild. And yeah, the, 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 those are special to me because we're just like it's like the start of our relationship together. Sparex recently launched USDS, a decentralized stablecoin that automatically generates passive income for holders. USDS is a hybrid stablecoin, part backed by cryptocurrencies and part by the protocol's ability to mint and burn the governance token SPA. The yield is generated organically via external DeFi applications to ensure sustainability of the system. Thanks to the auto yield, it pays to hold USDS. Go to app.sparex.io and mint your own USDS today. Recently, you've done some amazing work. Like, I think it, like the Arctic piece really stands out. It's just like beautifully shot and, and such an interesting topic. Like, it's not very, uh, just like this, like permanence of NFTs and just something that's not very much talked about in this space and just how unique it is to have been able to shoot uh, up there. I think uh, the... And I really like the recent tomato merge piece. I think that, that was like a, a really good example of like our sweet spot. Tomatoes are a fruit, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So I'll explain to the folks back home how the creative process works. How the creative process works? Well, it, it changes every time. But basically, this time what we did was we found some reference images and it actually started with like inspiration. You know, well, let's watch some tabletop photography, tabletop videos of other people doing um, shooting. But how, but how do we get to tomatoes? Oh, how do we get to tomatoes? You just said, why not? That was the trigger. But you also explain it by saying, okay, it's, it's uh, tomatoes have seeds, it's juicy, and it's all covered in one like skin. 
It's red. Uh, it's tasty. It's a fruit. You're not doing this very. You're not doing this very well. <laughs> I'm horrible. I'm going to have to take you and instruct <laughs> you in the art of, of explaining stuff to people. <laughs> no, I think if you watch our videos, you would be like, "How on earth did you come up with that?" Like the Avagotchi thing is it was nuts. But I think with the merge, like everybody was covering the merge, and there was everyone was doing a story about it. And I just thought, well, how am I going to make this a defiant film? So I started thinking about what we could do and how we could shoot it. And I was like, I, I know I want it to be feel like a recipe or some kind of cooking. And then I was like, tomatoes. And it just kind of came to me, like tomatoes, we've got lots of different versions of tomatoes. They're cheap to get, so we could get lots of them and, and smash them up. But then I realized that ETH is like this building block for everything. And a tomato is like one of the most versatile vegetables, fruits in cooking. So it's like a perfect metaphor. And then we could just shoot, have so much fun shooting it and chopping it and squashing it and blending it. And that was the thing really, was, it was the idea of the merge as a blender. Just putting these two things together and making them one, that became the visual metaphor for it. But like the, coming up with ideas for these shows is, like I, I challenge myself to do something different every week. Sometimes it's just an intro. I've been trying to push more and more onto the kind of more creative execution. But like with the Arctic film, I knew I wanted to give people the entire Arctic film in the first 30 seconds of the film because then I thought they would keep watching. So I just smashed it all together with some sound effects and was like, this is what you're going to get. And then of course we had Simon One come along but some of the things we've done are just nuts, absolutely nuts. And I don't really know how we come up with them. Like the sushi song, for some reason, I knew it was going to be a song and I knew it was going to be like Tiger King. And then that was basically what it was. It was just like, I, need to, I just want to do the ballad of Chef Nomi as Tiger King. That was it. <laughs> and that the, was the rap, it. For, what, what did you do that rap song for? So pick, pickle, the pickle hack. The pickle hack. So yeah, yeah. Pickle, basically that was the inspiration for that was Somebody wrote a tweet saying we are we're, we all serve at the the altar of Dr. Dre. Mm. So someone wrote a tweet. And I was like, what if we did the entire story in rap? And that would have been really tough. But I've never rapped in my life before. And we just went, we could do this. We could do this. And then had so them, and then had to shoot all the music videos for that in literally an hour, and then edit them to deliver that afternoon. And I think that's what people don't understand is just how insane the editing process is for us. Because we'll sometimes have a half an hour film. The Defiant Weekly, and we won't finish shooting it till midday on the day we're publishing it. And then Alp will take half, I'll take half, and then we'll just edit it. And somehow it, it gets published. And I don't even know how, you know, sometimes we look at it as like, how are we going to get this done? I don't know, we'll get it done. And we always do. It, it's nuts. It really is nuts. What was the insane one with the with the pineapple? Was that like for 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 me? Oh, that was meme. Meme, yeah. So that was insane. Yeah, the, the, the meme one, it was, he called it the degenerator. And then for me, that I just I, I heard Joker. What is this kind of wild cackling thing? And then I basically took the trailer for the Joker and made it a pineapple. It was and then we so just good. had so much fun doing that and uh, smashing them up. And, and the thing about pineapples is there's lots of different ways that they can be carved up and cut and put them on pizza. And, and it just it just ended up being a really perfect um, metaphor for everything that we were doing. Yeah, we we tend to do that actually, like using food. Um, mm -hmm. that, like last week was tomato. We did the pineapple, and we also for the curve video, which is one of the classics as well. I yeah. think we we used a banana, and that became a reoccurring thing throughout the, the the film. You have it in the intro. Later on, Robin smashes inside a basket like a basketball, and then later I threw it at his head. His head. <laughs> and then at the end, it's it's a very wholesome way, and he opens his palms. A banana lands there. He eats it, and video ends like just wrapping everything up and using it as a metaphor throughout the video that's what Genius. i think yeah it, it's it, you riff on an idea and that's fun i mean i used to shoot a lot of music videos and in music videos that's what you do you take an idea and you riff on it and riff on it and riff on it and you try and challenge yourself to come up with lots of different executions of that idea and that, that's a really fun way to do things we forget though that DeFi was basically themed around food True. Yam, sushi. I think that's and that was where it came from. Yeah. So it was just there was just all this food fight. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. So we just lent into that and said, what can we do with food? And it ended up with me having food thrown at me and eating all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> but it's just trying to keep it entertaining. And then and I think at certain times last year, we were just so under the cosh trying to get stories out that we we had to dial back. But like one of my favorites was the one where we did Sin City. We did a Sin City intro. Mm -hmm. That was really fun. And then like I, for one, I think it was structured and index products. I, I did this whole sequence with green screen. I'm on a roof. I get struck by lightning. Then I jump off the roof and then I get stuck hanging in midair. And then we showed how I did it. And it just looks so dumb <laughs> flapping around on a box. But it's fun. And so now we're, we're moving into a really weird phase, which is virtual production. And you've seen 
some of the equipment that we have, but really just understanding that the metaverse is such a big story and that telling a story in the metaverse is quite challenging unless you build your own metaverse setup or your own holodeck. So we, we're using Unreal Engine and we're plugging into everything that world can offer us, game engines, PFPs, and how you might puppet one in real time using optical motion capture, which is just, it, it kills us. Mm. Every time we try and do something in there, it is so complex and it, nothing works, but we'll stick at it and, and make that a piece of our um, overall pipeline and hopefully be able to produce with that the same way we can with regular optical cameras. But that's going to take us a little while to get there. But that, that's really an exciting kind of new frontier that nobody else is doing. Yeah. That really is like anywhere in the world, nobody's doing that yeah. on a YouTube schedule. So yeah, that's going to be exciting. It'll probably break us, but you know. <laughs> I don't want you to break, so take it easy. I, I can't wait to see how that goes, though. Uh, the stuff you've been able to do in this small space with fruits and veggies, I, I can only imagine what you'll do with that crazy sci-fi equipment you have uh, going on over there. That'll be exciting to see. But like I said, just like step by step. <laughs> yeah. Okay. To Just to start uh, wrapping up... Uh, I want to ask you the the flagship or like standard question of the Defiant podcast. How are you Defiant? I start? Okay. I guess working here makes me Defiant. Mm -hmm, Dude, mm -hmm. come on. <laughs> yeah, working at the Defiant makes me Defiant. That's one of the, that's definitely one. That's a boring but in, answer. But in what way? Because we are, we represent Web3. We represent stuff that authorities don't like that much and are questioning and very skeptical about so us reporting it and somewhat supporting it in a way being one of our main values i think that's that makes me defined i'm glad that we're helping you be defined <laughs> <laughs> what else what makes you defined so i have three essential values that I've, I've i tried to present them to harmony back in the day because i was inspired by their idea one their tokens called one but it's very simple one is keep it real and i think that is so hard to do in this space. It is so easy to get lost in the, the noise and the excitement and lose track of reality. So keeping it real is one of them. And I think we're one of the, the very few voices in this space that do that consistently. And someone on Twitter <clears throat> actually pointed that out. They said, you're, you're actually self-aware, you know, that this is BS a lot of the time. So that's one. Second is challenge all assumptions. Like nothing is, should be taken as gospel or true unless you've gone and done the homework yourself. So it's very easy to go, oh, I heard someone told me, and then you accept that as truth. Don't do that. Mm. We mustn't do that. And then the third one was be the one. So that means where you might wait for somebody else to do something, be the one that does it. Mm. And that is a, it's an interesting way to, to live your life. The, the, if you say, I'm just going to wait for to stand up and do that, or I'm going to, I'll, I'll wait and see what someone does first. We, we can't do that. We have to lead. Mm -hmm. So that means let's be the one that steps up, be the one that puts your hand up talking to this Ukrainian film producer, she's, I don't want to hear that I'm in your prayers. I want to see you do something. And that resonates with me so hard. So those three things are how I'm defiant. I love it. Okay. I guess I'll say how I'm defiant. I never get a chance to say it in, in the other episodes. Okay. So I think, I think I'm defiant by setting just like really crazy, what seem like crazy, unreachable goals and just like going for it. So very much tied to what you were saying of like being the one okay like there's no bloomberg for web3 why don't we make it and i really do believe that we are the ones to make it we're the ones to become the most trusted information source for defi and web3 the only ones providing trusted credible in-depth financially focused information about this space and who are building the data platform to, to see what's going on chain firsthand and to do it in a Web3 native way. And, and then going back, just like, there's no book on Ethereum. Okay, like, I'll write it. So I, I don't know why that is that I think that I can do this stuff, but I, I guess I, I push myself to try. So I, I defy my own expectations about myself. I don't know if I can actually pull this off, but I'll give like everything to try to do it. And I really love that that you guys are kind of with me on this journey. Yeah, that fearlessness. That I think when we make a video and we come up with an idea, there isn't time to worry about whether we can actually pull it off or not. Mm -hmm. We just have to make it work. And I, I think there's been one video where we 
didn't and we we didn't publish what we'd made mm. one wait one and, and you never published it no there was just it was an intro that we made that it just didn't work oh. uh, i think i was there was a website and i was jumping from parts of the website to other parts of the website and ducking and things were passing on my head and it just didn't work well one in like over a year yeah yeah, yeah no, it's, it's pretty good yeah, it's pretty good, it's, a good track yeah. record. it's not too bad at all all right I, I love that this is what unites us this fearlessness um this has been awesome thank you guys for taking the time and shoot this with me and again it's been amazing seeing this all firsthand more alp more alp more alp, more alp. thanks for <laughs> coming here camilla you should visit us more and we should to. shoot more videos together here i agree i agree looking forward to that thank you for listening to the defiant podcast Together, we are taking hold of the world of DeFi and Web3 with the most influential voices in the space. Don't forget to subscribe to all our channels, our newsletter, YouTube, social media accounts, and of course, this podcast. See you next week.